listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 282. We're almost at 300, Mark. Almost at 300. And before we do anything else, let me stop and apologize to all of our audience members, literally all over the planet. We've missed three weeks and it's our fault. We had some hiccups. We have an interview that was supposed to get approved by a super major that didn't get approved yet. We recorded a wonderful interview at A&M University with the IEDC student chapter and the audio files were corrupted. Yes. <laughs> And we had a holiday in the middle of all that. So my apologies to all our listeners. I know we were doing really well on getting a weekly show out. Then we skipped three weeks. We'll try not to let that happen again, but sometimes stuff just happens. Yeah, I was really upset that we lost those audio files. It was a great interview. It was a great time. Yeah, it really was. And we really appreciate everybody over there. Yeah, we're going to go back. We're going to do it again this time. And the behind the curtain was fire. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and now Hornets can be mad at us because we can't listen to it. Well, we can't listen to it either. Right. But if you want to leave us a review, it's really simple now. We have a new tool. You just go to the show notes and click on it. No matter what device you're on, no matter what platform, Android, iOS, Linux, Microsoft, <laughs> BlackBerry, whatever. I know I'm making some of those up. But no, you, no, they're just obsolete. <laughs> but you can leave us a review. If you want to try to remember it, it's really simple. It's lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW for Oil and Gas this week. You want to read the review? It's in Polish. Yes, it is. So the translation comes out to I recommend. Great podcast with news from the oil and gas industry. And interestingly run. It's a good to listen. I heartily recommend. <laughs> and audience, you want to guess what how you say I recommend in Polish? How? It's right in front of you. Polcam. Polcam. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I just think it's funny. You're silly. Yeah. All right. Speaking of being silly, it leads us right to our first news article. All right. Oil giant Schlumberger rebrands itself as LB for low carbon future. Yeah. This is a lot of like a lot of other companies in the oil and gas industry that are rebranding themselves to jump on the ESG bandwagon. And I quite frankly think this is a horrible statement. It's ridiculous. From Schlumberger's point of view. So Schlumberger is one of the world's, it might be the world's largest, but it's not the largest, it's one of the world's largest oil field service companies. Everybody on this planet that's in oil and gas know who Schlumberger is. They even know how to pronounce the name right. That's how I can tell somebody that works in the industry and that doesn't how they pronounce Schlumberger. Oh, I screwed. When I first started in the industry, I was like, Schlumberger? Yeah. Well, that's how I know you don't work in the industry. <laughs> even if you're not French, you know how to say the word Schlumberger. Right. And especially outside the U.S. They have a strong presence in the U.S., but outside the U.S., everybody knows who they are. Now you're going to change your logos and your colors to jump on the ESG bandwagon. I just think it's a huge marketing mistake. I don't know if you're old enough, Paige, to remember when Coke changed its original formula. Oh, from cocaine? <laughs> no, not that old. <laughs> but they changed the formula from Coke and they rebranded. I think it was in the 80s. It was a horrible uh, marketing mistake. It cost them millions of dollars in revenue. And I think Schlumberger is doing the same thing. They should have stuck with the name Schlumberger instead of SLB, although SLB is their domain name, slb.com. They could have changed their logo a little bit, colors and fonts and everything to modernize it. But to walk away from the name Schlumberger, I just think it's a huge marketing. I'm mistake. still going to call it Schlumberger. Yeah, me too. I will. It's, it's, <laughs> I will for the next 10 years. So I finally get it straight. I hope I'm wrong. I got a lot of friends that work over there, but I really think they should have just kept the name. That brand recognition is priceless. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyway. 
Yeah. All right. So the next one is the USA did not run out of diesel last Monday. Oh, we didn't? <laughs> yeah. So at a bunch of news agencies a couple of weeks ago, actually two weeks ago, talking about how the U.S. was run out of diesel. And that was based on data from the EIA, the Energy Information Administration. But the reason is that people don't understand the difference between diesel inventories and diesel demands <laughs> and even our own news agency it's a perfect example of why a lot of people even members of congress listen to our show page is that we at least know the industry right so this was a mistake that, that was reported all over the place and it was basically not un- the news agency's not understanding the difference between how much diesel was stored somewhere and how much was being used. Because even though it's being stored, it's constantly being replenished, right? It's being distilled by refineries and it's being shipped to stores to be shipped to retail stations, to farmers or whatever. This doesn't sound like rocket science. It's really not, but it shows you how much our news agencies on both sides. So both conservative news agencies and liberal news agencies here in the U.S. both got this story wrong. So Hmm. we didn't run out of diesel. We won't run out of diesel. What is happening is diesel's ridiculously expensive and it's yeah. going to keep getting expensive, but that expense causes the refiners to produce more of it because they're making higher margins. So we're not going to run out of it. It's just going to get ridiculously expensive before it starts getting cheaper. Right I now. thought an entire state ran out of it, though, like a couple weeks ago, like that, on the East Coast or that something. That could happen, especially in states that are, have a lot of legislation that restrict things like pipelines and refineries. Uh, because there's the reason that the price is so high and the reason that there's a shortage of diesel is the world's refineries can't refine right. enough of it. Yeah, I knew it, that. We have plenty of crude to turn into diesel. It's just the refineries are maxed out. And so if you know if you're a state and you don't haven't allowed a refinery to be built in 10 years and you got to ship refined products from another state of course there's a chance that supply chain gets interrupted right. and run out of mm-hmm. x. Yeah. Remember colonial pipeline a bunch of states ran out of retail gasoline yeah. for a couple of days. Uh-huh. But that was exasperated because of the panic caused by news and social media when that pipeline went down there were still supplies to the retail gas stations although it was limited but what happened is everybody said they were out running and, out of gasoline yeah. so everybody would fill their tanks up at the same time which actually caused the outage right. not the loss of the pipeline yeah yeah anyway what's next okay oil freight boom makes 1 million waiting bills more common so with what's going on trying to catch up with the supply chain with this refinery constraints around the world I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but the reason that crude oil is truly a global commodity and that goes for the exact same price here in Houston, Texas, or in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, or Tokyo, Japan, is that for almost nothing, we can move it, right? And we move it in the world's oceans in super tankers, these extremely large vessels that cost pennies to move hundreds of barrels of crude oil. And so, and here's an interesting point. At any one time, there's more weight in crude oil being moved in our world's oceans than all the weight of all the fishes combined. That kind of gives you perspective, right? Right. What's happened is because of these constraints, a lot of these super tankers, these very large tankers, aren't able to either onload or offload quick enough, so they're parked. But now there's a shortage of tankers, which is driving up the day rates. So how cool is this? If you're one of these large tankers and you get delayed, think about like a taxi waiting with the meter on, yeah. right? Wait for you to show up out of your appointment, whatever. Uh-huh. It's now at $100,000 a day, Whoa. just the day rates. Now, that has to come out of the profits you make by moving whatever it is that you're shipping around the super tanker, right? So these waiting feeds are called demurrage, I believe. And it's some of the parts of the world right now, if you look at some of the tools online where you can see these freighters parked in ports, some of these freighters have been sitting there for seven to 10 days at $100,000 oh, no. a day, 
which if they're carrying diesel is going to drive up the cost of the diesel, which is one of the uh, reasons diesel prices is going up. That makes up. sense. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in a super tanker business right now, you're living the high life, which is good because for a while, about five years ago, it was the exact opposite. There's too many tankers on the market, too, too many of them sitting empty, and they weren't getting the day rates that they're getting now. So this is kind of good for the tanker market. And trust me, people, this is all the market. This is going on for the next two years, stuff like this. This is the market correcting itself after we came out pre-pandemic. At some point, everything will get more or less back to normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, here's a good one. Deep water oil and gas production to grow 60% by 2030. Yeah, so this is the fastest growing part of the upstream market right now. It will continue to grow. You'll even see some ultra deep water come back online, which is fantastic. This is the cool stuff in the upstream side of the industry. This is the high tech, huge capital expenditures. This is the stuff that makes oil and gas engineers make NASA scientists look like Lego builders, right? (laughs) Drilling through, you know, two miles, three miles, four miles of water, two or three miles of rock. You're catching stuff that's high pressure, high temperature, and you're bringing it up to the market safely and environmentally responsibly. And this is just going to continue. And the reason why is even though it's expensive to do these deep water projects, it's conventional reservoirs, which have a very long decline curve, right? And the world is short of energy right now. It will be for the next two years. So yeah. it makes commercial sense yeah. for all these companies to invest in this. And this has a trickle out effect. So just don't think of Shell having a deep water project in Gulf of Mexico. Think about that drill rig they have to rent for a million dollars a day that's going to Transocean. That's helping all the Transocean employees. Think about the hotels that the Slumberjay people, that now that they're rebranded, that's <laughs> people stay in to go service that rig in deep water, right? There's money there. Think of the local restaurants, the grocery stores, yeah. the schools, the roads. that Prosperity. Tolls. Yeah, prosperity for everybody. So this is really cool to see deep water market come back. This is another indicator that regardless of what our world's politicians are saying, that hydrocarbons are here to stay forever. Good, 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 good. All right, a twisted joke. UN's flagship climate summit sees sharp jump in fossil fuel industry delegates. Okay, I got a huge problem with this. This is COP, what, seven? That was in, or 27, it was in Africa. And this is the OTC of the climate world. This is their, right. their, this is their conference. Why would you not? So first, let's back up. Let's say that you're one of the people that don't like our industry, right? And, right. and this conference is like your rallying point. This is where you go to save the planet. Why would you not want the people and the companies there that you say are causing damage to the planet? Don't, would you want to educate them, right? Well, right. See, right. Now, now that we step back to reality, the other part of this is you're having companies go to COP27 because they want to learn what the opposition is doing, not to battle it, but to understand what the public is concerned about, right? Well, that's smart. Yeah. yeah. And so by having a little conniption fit because Chevron or Equinor, or not Equinor, Stat, oh, not sorry, it is Equinor. <laughs> Equinor, <laughs> see, it's a perfect, right? Or Halliburton wants to go to the climate conference. This is ridiculous. This is one of the problems our world is having with energy is the fact that there's an us versus them. Yeah. We need to stop that foolishness. It's not us versus them. We're all humans. We all deserve the right to clean, abundable, affordable energy, and we can provide it to the world if our darn politicians would get out of the way. And this is a perfect example of how they want to create a me versus them because they don't like the fact that- Well, they that, do that across the board on everything. Uh, yeah. On everything, right? And there's some exceptions out there, but this is retarded. They should have opened up the red carpet to the oil and gas industry to come join and work on these problems together, not saying there's something wrong with Chevron sewing up at, at a climate. So that's ridiculous. That's childish. Yeah, very, very immature. All right. Speaking of immature, Biden <laughs> Biden administration quietly approves huge Texas oil export project. Hmm. Okay, Paige, we're going to have to start watching your geopolitical comments. You know why? 
Because we have a geopolitical podcast coming out, and I'm super stoked about it. You need to show up as a guest on that show, because this way you can really let yourself talk about <laughs> stuff we can't talk about in this show too much. I, I guess we're going to make that show explicit, huh? It is. Actually, that was determined. It's going to be an explicit show. Oh, good. So stay tuned, people. That show is going to be a freaking blast. Yeah, my buddy Jordan's going to kill it. It's going to yeah, be he awesome. actually asked me today if he could announce it. I go, not only should you announce it, you should start asking people for guests. So oh, yeah. Anybody out there that has a position geopolitically on oil and gas. It doesn't matter what the position is. Pay attention to our social media on LinkedIn. When Jordan starts putting stuff out there and you have, you know, and it doesn't have to be somebody that works in the oil and gas industry. It can be a professor. It can be an attorney, you know, anybody geopolitically in the world, right? Reach out to Jordan. Let's get on your show and let's get your your viewpoints aired. Anyway, back to this. So our administration, they did not take a defeat in the midterms like I thought they were. So I was wrong about that. They took a little bit. Of, it was a, a red defeat. splash. Yeah. However, they have to keep their voters appeased. So they approved this oil export project because it's going to make sure that our fuel prices here in the rest of the world start dropping our energy prices. But nobody talked about it at all. It, it's literally of course secretly. Not. And guess who figured out who the uh, who got it? Figured out who how it was approved. Who? Earthworks, which is an organization that doesn't like the oil and gas industry. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, I find that hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> then an anti-oil and gas group was the one that figured out that our current administration secretly approved this project. <laughs> I mean, people, you can't make this up. But this is a huge offshore oil export terminal. It's the first of four, I believe, being that's pending approval for the Texas Gulf Coast. Actually, this one's approved. So it's the first to be approved of the four. This will allow us to continue to export our hydrocarbons to the rest of the world to help ease this global energy shortage that we're in. Now, you know, a lot of people and our current administration would look at this as a setback for as far as climate goals. It's the exact opposite, people. The U.S. produces the cleanest hydrocarbon molecule on the planet. Other countries are going to use oil and gas. And you would want it, whether it come from the U.S. or Europe, than it come from places like China where they don't care at all about the environment right. or around health, safety, environment. Mm-hmm. So this is actually good for the climate. It's good for Texas. I'm not going to say I'm not proud for that. It's good for the U.S. It's good for the world. So it's awesome to see this going. I just think it's a shame that our current administration hid this in a bunch of paperwork and it took an anti- I mean, are we surprised? <laughs> no. No. But I just think it's funny that an anti-oil and gas group uncovered. <laughs> hey, you should have them on the balance point. You know, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's, that's Those are the only ideas I have are good. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, so let's go to the next one. UK hits power firms with windfall tax, hikes oil company levy. Okay, so this is what I was afraid was going to happen, and it's going to happen more in different countries. So basically in the UK, they're saying, look, oil and gas companies, you're making too much profit because there's global energy shortage, so we're going to tax you 35% extra. That's not 35%. That's 35% extra. So let me tell you what this is going to do. Companies like Shell and BP have already said, you know what? These wind and solar projects that we said we're going to invest in, if you tax us like that, you're killing our ability to invest in these. We're not going to invest in that, right? But it's about business. It's not about tit versus tat or my way or your way. It's literally the profits that BP and Shell and Equinor were making off their oil and gas business. They were going to put in renewables. And if you think that's important, that was a great thing. Right, 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 right. right. Well, now the UK is going to tax them because they're making extra money. Nobody in the UK parliament stopped to think, hey, they've lost money for almost 15 years. It's not their fault that we're in a global energy shortage. It's our fault as politicians. Why the heck would we tax them? Now, here's where it gets ironically better in a weird sort of way. You have my interest. They're going to also tax the wind and solar companies the same amount. 
Now, if you don't know this about wind and solar, in most parts of the world, they can't stand up in market, free markets. They have to be propped up by subsidies. And I know I get this all the time. You'll have people that don't like us say, well, the oil and gas industry gets subsidies. We do not. Not here, not in Europe. We get tax breaks, not subsidies. They're two different things. Right. A subsidy is somebody writes you a check. A tax break is when you get to take parts of what you spent off your taxes that you've already spent money on. So the UK has also decided to tax wind and solar. This is going to cause two things. They were just now at the point because the price of hydrocarbons are so high that wind and solar are economically viable. In a lot of places in Europe, they could have stood on their own two feet. Not so much sun because they don't have a bunch of sunlight right. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wind, right? It could yeah. have stood on its own two feet because prices are officially high for hydrocarbons. This tax is going to make it non-competitive again. So then you have the UK taxpayers paying money to subsidize wind and solar. Then the UK is going to take that profit back from them and make them commercially unviable. Now, they're doing the same thing to the oil and gas industry, but guess what? The oil and gas industry doesn't run on subsidies. Right. So they're shooting themselves in their own foot. They're going to destroy their renewables. That is so ridiculous. And they're going to push out the investments by the super majors that were investing in renewables in the UK. This is asinine. Yeah. And- it's going to bite them in the butt. It's going to keep energy prices high. Now you're keeping hydrocarbon energy prices high and you're keeping renewable energy prices high just so that you could go to your base that voted you in and say, yes, we're taxing these companies. This is ass. Whoever thought this was a good idea understands zero about markets, understands zero about how you drive innovation and lower costs to the public, and honestly could care less about anything other than themselves. Oh, no, absolutely. There's an agenda for sure. Huge agenda. This could keep energy prices for the world high. And like I said, you know, the last show three weeks ago, <laughs> we're okay. So, you know, Paige and I and OGG and team are okay. We may not go out to eat as much. We may not buy new cars. But it's our world's poor people that literally yeah. are not going to have food and not be able to heat their homes. And yeah. this, is, this is horrendous to be doing this. These people need to be fired. I agree with that. Not my, not my country, but well, my country is just as bad. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of countries, man, you're really rubbing off on me with these segues. Germany sets windfall tax at 90% for clean power generators. Read that again. Germany sets windfall tax at 90% for clean power generators. So Germany, did you look at what the stupidity that UK was doing? Go, we could be stupider. (laughs) They were like, hold my beer. Yeah, I love you, Germany. I really do. I spent time there in the Marine Corps. I love the people there and everything. This is past asinine, Germany. So they're doing the same thing the UK is doing, except they decided to tax the renewables 90%. Because in Germany, this well, you can't make this stuff up. Germany had this program called Interwind, where they remove a large part of their electrical generation to renewables. The public agreed. They agreed for the taxes increase to pay for all this. They did it, and the goal was to reduce CO2 emissions. Well, as they implemented more solar and wind, they found out that it wasn't reliable enough, and they had to build more coal-fired power plants to help mm-hmm. the wind and solar. Which So the end result was <laughs> the project failed. They didn't get to the 30% renewable goal, and they increased CO2 emissions instead of decreasing CO2 emissions, right? So oh, this is all set up. Germany is run off a bunch of coal-fired power plants. They're starting to bring – they were starting to bring natural gas on until this whole Nordstrom thing's happened with Russia, right? right. Now they don't have natural gas, so they have to keep using coal. That's increasing. They're actually burning wood now in Germany, which is the heat homes, <laughs> which is even more asinine. So then they looked at their failed renewables project, and I said – and they said, you know what? Since energy prices are high and these renewable – companies that we've stood up with with subsidies and tax dollars, which have failed from a market point of view, 
they're making too much money. Let's tax them at 90%. So now the cost of energy in Germany is go quadruple. And it's already higher in most people's house notes. Imagine that. So, you know, my house note here in Texas is around $2,000 with everything included. Right. My electricity bill, my energy bill, you know, electricity and natural gas at its highest, at its highest is maybe $300. Yeah, but like, like in the middle of the summer, yeah. right? Imagine us having a $2,000 or $3,000 or $4,000 energy bill. That's what the people of Germany are having to deal with or will have to deal with. Then the people and the business there still need energy. So they're going to use it at this high rate. And so mark my words, they're going to do the same thing they did in the Netherlands and they're going to set a cap, which basically says, okay, population that you're getting ready to vote us out of power because now your electricity bill is $5,000 a month. We're going to set a cap so that it's only $1,000 and then we'll pay the electrical provider the difference, the extra 4,000, which is going to be a tax that the future Germany people are have to pay on their own pyramid of bad energy decisions this is ridiculous a 90 percent tax <laughs> on clean power generation you can't make this stuff no up. you can't my, my heart goes out to the people of germany this winter is gonna be bad and in europe next winter is gonna be hellacious right so let's just get through this maybe we'll have some changes in governments and smarter people will prevail i hope so goodness all right Senevis ceo takes aim at oil and gas critics says sector pays billions in taxes yeah, so their CEO, Alex Portabay, good Cajun name, except it's not really Cajun. He's tired of the public and of governments picking on the oil and gas industry saying, look, we pay more taxes than anybody out there and we're keeping your lights on. So in his case, $50 billion in the form of royalties and taxes to the Canadian federal government and the provincial governments were paid for this year. That's money that's paying for roads and healthcare and arts and culture and you know all this stuff. And yet, the government in Canada and here too, and obviously in Germany and in the UK, right. wants to come out and tax. So what he's doing, he's, he's getting ahead of this windfall tax. That's something that's both the US and Canada look at doing just like Europe just did. Uh. And he goes, y'all are ridiculous. We're keeping the lights on. You're going to tax us more just because you caused an energy shortage? So he's very outspoken. I do think it's interesting, Paige. I'm starting to see the oil and gas industry, and this is going to be in my predictions, which will be out next week. I'm starting to see the oil and gas industry push back a little bit. Whereas before they just good, it it's about damn this time ESG stuff. And I had a call with somebody yesterday, and they were talking about how ESG is, is a waste of time. It's not. It's just being used in the wrong way. You know, every one of us can agree that if a CEO runs a company in the ground and has to lay off all his employees, that he shouldn't walk away with ten million dollars, right? Right. We can all agree upon that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the government parts of ESG. The social responsibility. We can all agree that as an industry, we need to take responsibility in the local communities we operate in. We always have. And we always right. will. Yeah. And then you have the environmental part. And we are stewards of the environment. So ESG is good. It's needed. The biggest part, I think, was the government. It's, it, but what's happening is individuals and organizations are using it to leverage industries like the oil and gas industry to get something for their own personal benefit. They're not doing stuff that's better for the planet or better for people. It's for their own personal group, right? Right. So this is a CEO of a big company pushing back saying this is ridiculous. And I'm right there with it. All righty. All righty. Pipeline CEO likens Biden's energy policy to Saturday Night Live skit. I didn't see that. So this is Energy Transfer Partners, and they're one of the biggest pipeline operators in the U.S. I've known them for a long time. <laughs> and their chief executive officer says that what's going on with our current administration as far as curbing drilling permits and pipeline approvals and yet asking for foreign countries to produce more oil is like a Saturday night skit, except it's not as good as most Saturday night skits. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it just it's it's hilarious that you're actually seeing 
normally conservative executives in a very conservative industry who never talk about politics or politicians or anything, they keep all that under the vest, actually come out in public and say, this is absolutely ridiculous. And it is absolutely ridiculous. And like I said earlier, I'm really glad to start to see leaders of oil and gas companies coming out and speaking the truth. Man, and I'm not going to lie. It's funny to have somebody say it's like the Saturday Night Live skit, except not as good as the Saturday Night Live <laughs> skit. We need more of this, people. Yes, Absolutely. All right. You ready for the next one? Yeah. Okay. Ombridge greenlights 3.6 billion gas pipeline expansion in Canada. So let me translate this. Canada, and I'm not picking on you because we have the same bad energy policies here, has had four years of bad energy policies. The cost of energy is going up in Canada. And all of a sudden, the same people that said that we don't need pipelines and we don't need natural gas and we don't need the tar sands and we don't need LNG are going, build that damn pipeline. My electricity bill is too expensive. I'm burning fuel oil, which is horrible for the environment. It has to be trucked in to try to keep my children warm. Screw this, right? And so that's what's going on here. This is great. The fact that they got approved just shows you the people in Canada uh, that vote in this sort of stuff are starting to come to their senses and understand the importance of pipelines. And by the way, people, if you're going to move anything, don't just think oil. Think, I mean, if you're going to move sewage water, if you're going to move fresh water, if you're going to move palm oil. A pipeline is the safest way to move anything. It's unbelievably safe. And what happens is the market is always the biggest driver. So if you don't have a pipeline to move crude oil or natural gas around, it's going to be moved by rail or truck, which is horrible for the environment and more expensive, which drives your utility bills up. So they're looking to add about another 50 million cubic feet per day of capacity in the northern section of the, I think they call it T-North, which once again sounds like a Cajun name. (laughs) But it's up around Fort Nelson (laughs) in the north part of British Columbia, and they're bringing that back to the southern part of Canada. They're supposed to actually have this thing up and running by the end of 2023, which is actually really quick. That's very quick. And it drove their share prices up. Oh, nice. So once again, good for the people in Canada, good for the world, good for Enbridge, good for Enbridge employees and their shareholders. So uh, hats off, Enbridge. All right. U.S. oil refiners to keep running at breakneck speeds in fourth quarter. Yeah. So I've been paying close attention to the financial results of all the big refining companies here in the U.S. and they're all killing it. But they're doing something which is not normal. This is the time of year where they typically have planned outages. And so when you run a refinery, the refinery itself is not designed to ever be turned off. And that's we're suffering that now. We right. turn off refineries during, during COVID, and it takes years to restart them. And so what happens is you plan your maintenance windows. And what that is is you decide to take either the whole refinery down, if it's a small refinery, or units of a refinery if it's bigger, on a certain date, you bring in a whole bunch of contractors and you do the repairs and the maintenance that's needed and you bring it back online. And the goal is not to reduce the cost of the turnaround. The goal is to get that unit back online as quick as freaking possible. And so what's happening is U.S. refiners aren't doing the turnarounds. So what they're doing in the interest of helping the public and the world is they're running their equipment into the ground. It's sort of like if you had somebody that's getting ready to have a baby in your car and you need an oil change and you go, screw it, the oil change is not as important. I'm going to drive the 1,000 miles so the baby can be delivered even though it may tear up my motor. Uh-huh. That's what the refineries are doing. Wow. So this could cost them millions of dollars in downtime and repair and maintenance later. But right now, they're running wide open because that's the constraint right now right. is refining capacity. That was a really weird analogy, by the way. The baby would actually yeah. call it something better. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that one came from. But, you know, they're all running in the high 94, 95, 98% of capacity, typically run around 70%. And then, you know, right now, the demand for diesel and jet fuel, the inventory is extremely low. Once again, people, it doesn't, that's, that's not connected with demand. That's just how much is stored that minute. And so, you know, the refiners are trying to keep up. 
And what I'm hoping is somebody with a level head in our current administration and in our future administrations will realize that this constraint that we have is a permanent constraint and will make it easier for us to build a couple more refineries in this company country. We don't need a hundred more refineries. If we could build five, yeah. that would be awesome. But it's such a huge investment in money and it takes so long to get that money back that somebody like Exxon or Chevron is not going to build a new refinery in the U.S. in this current political market, right? They have to feel safe that they're going to be able to operate that refinery for the next 75 or 100 years in order to do it. So a lot of work needs to be done. But I do appreciate the companies that have these refineries out there basically running their equipment into the ground to help you and me out. Yeah, yeah. It speaks eons. Okie dokie. Freeport LNG gets extension on liquefaction train. Yeah, this is awesome. And I can't believe FERC did this. So if you remember, Freeport had an accident a few months ago. They pulled the entire facility offline to do inspections for everything, which is the right thing to do. Three of their existing trains are back online, and trains basically just a bunch of units stacked one behind the other. And if you look at it from the right angle, it does sort of look like a train. If you drive by one, it looks like a refiner if you don't know the difference. But anyway, so the U.S. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, is allowing Freeport to start this fourth train, which is awesome. The world needs more energy. We all know that. One of the best ways to give the world energy and reduce carbon at the same time is with liquid natural gas, which is what LG plant produces. You know, Russia's had a chokehold on Europe. Europe's is suffering now. It's going to suffer more regardless of what happens with Russia and the Ukraine. So this is a chance for the U.S. LNG supply to actually reach out and help Europe with its energy demands and help the rest of the world. It's going to take a little while. It's going to take about four years to actually build this thing out. Oh, wow. Right. But they start the project and the fourth train when it comes online is going to greatly increase the capacity. So this is good this stuff. is really good for Freeport. And I'm actually really, I'm honestly, I'm surprised at FERC to prove this. Once again, our current administration tends to say one thing about producing more hydrocarbons for the American people, but they do other things as far as permitting and regulation. This is cool that this got the, the green light. This is awesome, actually. No, oh, just another thing that was probably hiding. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm going to give them credit. They approve this. This is great. You know, whether I agree with the rest of what they do or not, I, I, know. I appreciate the fact that they approve this. <laughs> All right. And this is a message you got from Sahira Uden, and it is our buddy Sergio Chapa on LinkedIn. Yep. So this was at the American, speaking of LNG, this was at the American LNG Summit in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And you have a bunch of people that are protesting this page and they're protesting in pontoon boats. You can't make this <laughs> stuff up. Powered by outboard motors. <laughs> so they're And so they're saying, we want, this is a direct quote. We won't live with your pollution. LNG is a false solution. <laughs> Frack off. While they're in <laughs> pontoon boats powered by outboard motors. They should at least have electric motors, if not a sail or paddling, <laughs> so they won't be so hypocritical. Once again, uh, you, you can't make this stuff up. Did they not notice they had 75 horsepower, actually two 75 horsepower outboards on the back of the pontoons? Like, do they even know what powers the world? This is ridiculous. It is funny. And this is, like you said, this is our buddy Sergio who put this out there. So just in this show on something that is more ridiculous than and and, and the comments are gold. Yeah, we got yeah, yeah, we got a link in the show notes for you to go check this out. <laughs> Other thing you check out is you want to advertise with OGGN. We got a bunch of options. We have some actually extremely cheap options. We have an option that's uh, $50 per click per thousand. So just go to OGGN.com, go to pricing, check that out. We'd love to chat with you if we could help you out. Our Energy Continuity Conference is in April. Still tickets available for that. So that's also in the show notes. Weekly rig count page. Where are we? United States is at 784. So we're up to 
Canada's down seven at 194. Internationally, we're up 32 at 911. All good numbers. Also good numbers, our LinkedIn group, we're over 50,000. If you haven't joined yet, shame on you. Go to LinkedIn and join as quick as possible. And then very soon, we'll do the first Friday Q&A. If you have a question you'd like Paige and I to answer, go to either allgasthisweek.com or OGGN.com. Both places you can leave a question. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to Oh, that's easy. You can totally stump me. (laughs) And then finally, my All and Gas Events newsletter. It's a free tool that we put together for our own use that we give you access to if you want all the Oil and Gas Events, plus some discount coupons and sometimes private insider-only stuff that only we know about. Just go sign up for it. It's totally free. We put everything in your inbox once a month. And then finally, if you like myself or any other experts, come speak at your event and actually maybe keep the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. We'll be happy to share the details. We're actually going to be in, in Wyoming early next year at an SPE event. That's really Oh, cool. are we? Yeah, yeah. We uh-huh. have actually a bunch of speaking events the first part of 2023. Cool. Yeah, good stuff. Rock on. All right. Ready to get out of here? Uh-huh. Remember, folks, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.